All right. Hello, everybody. Lovely here to be joined by these guys, Scott and Adam. We got some interesting guests today, but Scott, let's go to you first. How are you doing today? Doing well. So we wrapped up our quarterly business review for uh, for Travel Advantage yesterday and started sharing about the other things we're working on, which is a pretty long list, but ultimately it was great. I got to spend some time with Adam. Adam came over, spent some time with the family and had dinner. And as much as Adam and I run and talk and it, we're on teams constantly, it's always good to see him face to face. And we also got to sit with the rest of the leadership team, along with the people that, that give us some feedback and hold us accountable from time to time. So sitting down, sharing where we've been, sharing some of our obstacles, and then getting some feedback from some people we trust is always high value. And then we go into today and I think great podcast with with some great guests and really around the topic that everyone's talking about, right? And hopefully we can cut through some of it and get to how we're putting it to work and how they're coming to the market. Yeah. Adam's always taller in person, isn't it? You know, when you see him on Zoom and these virtual meetings all the time, you can never really tell. It actually is all. Adam, how was this time for you? Pretty good. How are you doing today? Look, that's really funny, Conrad. My wife and I joke about it all the time that people say to us, oh, you guys are tall. I don't think we are. I don't think I'm that tall. I actually, I stretch myself to six foot. I'm probably five foot, five, 11 and a half. And I, I like to tell everybody I'm six foot. So I, I appreciate you telling me that I'm tall. I'll, I'll remind my wife that. Yeah. I, things are going great. I'll start with my weekly sports update and then I'll dive into what Scott mentioned there. So weekend was tough. A lot of driving, two lacrosse wins, which was great. A couple goals for the little guy and then two two soccer losses. So stay tuned as we go over the next few episodes because I'm the coach of this soccer team and my concern is that the team might be falling apart. So I might have some updates over mm. the next few weeks about me no longer coaching and having these soccer updates. So we'll see where it goes. Gotcha. But I echo Scott's point, and I think that everyone can relate to it as we've gone remote over the last few years. It's really important to get in front of people and actually have some of these in-person meetings. So it was great to get up to Maryland yesterday and have that QBR. I'll lay the groundwork a little bit about this episode as we get into it, because I, I agree with Scott, a fantastic guests to start this discussion. And it is a topic that we're all thinking about. So this discussion, and it's actually going to stretch over, over two episodes. We're going to do an episode today with our guests from Adaptive, and then we're going to do an episode that will come out the following week with some guests from Haptic, and I'll explain why that is. So the discussions around artificial intelligence, machine learning, and how vacation rental managers should start to think about it and why it's really important to start to think about it. Now, I think collectively, just in the general population, we're all talking about it because ChatGPT is out there and we've been hearing about it so quickly. I wrote an article for Matt Landau back in, I don't know, October or so, and his question to me was, what are the tech needs for vacation rental managers over the next five years? And I still stand behind the article. I spent a lot of time going through it. I think Scott and I are implementing a lot of the needs that, that we had. The one thing that was not on that list was AI. And I look back on it and I'm amazed that it wasn't even on my radar. But I think that's because we've been hearing about it for so many years, but there wasn't any large advancement that we all got to see or feel or understand. ChatGPT changed that. And I don't know what the date was, but I think it was probably in 2023. So we're looking from January to the end of April, middle of April, that the world is somewhat revolutionized by the technology that has come out. Now we've got to figure out what does it mean? How do we cut through some of that noise to Scott's point to understand what the value actually is? And then how do we as business people, vacation rental managers, how should we think about implementing it? And as Scott mentioned, I do like to be on the front edge of this technology. That's made my career path in this industry by trying to figure out what is that next step, going from the marketing side early in 2008 and shifting everything online, going into smart home control and keyless access, going into operation software, shifting over into Inhabit, now over with TAN. I've tried to figure out what is that next thing that everybody is going to be thinking about. 
And I think that AI is that is that thing. But the difference with what we're faced right now is it's moving so quickly that it's hard to wrap your hands around. So the reason that I'm having breaking this into two episodes and focusing on two different vendors is as I got out to start to think about this and started to talk with great people like our guests who understand this, I started to recognize really three things. One, I looked at a few different vendors and I saw opportunities at a few different levels of the business. One is on the client success and support yeah. side. We do have a call center with our businesses and that's where we started. And at the end of the day, I actually backed away from that because I feel like the bigger impact that we can have today with this technology is actually on the guest side and the marketing side and the personalization side. I think that we'll get to a point where we'll probably implement some of this on the customer service side to help our client success manage guests, repeat guests and customers a little bit better. But I think the bigger advantage, the faster advantage is on the marketing side. And that's what's going to set us apart. And after talking and reading some of the articles with the guests that we've got, I think that they're, they'll help us understand why that is and, and how we're going to be competing with some of the different entities that we've been talking about over the last few episodes. And we'll talk about how we can start to set ourselves apart and think about direct marketing. So I think that this is actually one of the most crucial episodes from a planning perspective. We're at the middle of 2023. Everyone's going to start thinking about budgets. Everybody should start thinking about AI and how that's going to fit into the budgets. So the way that we thought about this, going back to the three things I pulled away, I stepped away from support and I went towards marketing. But what I recognized is that the vendors that I was talk that I was in the process of talking to were focused on different areas. And my thought was, let's try to build these areas together so we can figure out exactly what AI can do. Now, AI is going to change and maybe our approach changes. But the way that I'm focused on this today is I'm looking at the website and how I can improve the website. So as we talk about Haptic next time, we're going to think about chatbots and how we might use chatbots to, to leverage some of that website experience. But today's episode, I think, has a really big impact is the personalization of the experience from the website to emails to the personalization of coming onto the website and getting the right properties that are sourced based on data, but also sourced based on what that higher return is to the company. So I'm super excited about this episode. I'm probably going to take a little bit of a step back and let these guys do a lot of explaining because I think we still have a lot to learn. But that's where I'm coming from. We're thinking about this in two different areas with two different vendors. We'll get to talk with both of them over the next couple episodes. Yeah, that, that's a phenomenal setup for sure, Adam. And it gives us a little bit of background about what you're thinking and ultimately where everyone's going. Evan and Braden, love to bring you guys in. I'll pick on you, I guess, first, Braden, you're first on my screen. So Braden, would love to hear your background, how you got connected with these folks. I believe it was a more recent change. We'd love to hear, if you don't mind, the listeners and the audience, um, your history, your background in the VR industry, and then, of course, your kind of your role within Adaptive and how you're focused on growth. Of course. Thanks, Conrad. And thank you all for having us on today. I got my start in VR going back to 2008 when I joined up with Blue Tent. Prior to that, I worked in hospitality on the front lines. I moved to a resort area and was working front desk and bell stand as my first job out of college. Did that for a year, skied about 100 days a season for two seasons, and then decided I needed to be a slightly more productive member of society and jumped into sales and marketing. But I was with Blue Tent for 12 or 13 years in virtually any capacity. Everything from running our support team, running our production team. By the end of my career there, I was our chief product officer. And as many folks will know, Blue Tent was acquired by Inhabit. And in that process, I was moved to a VP of essentially product within the Inhabit organization. And that's where I was lucky enough to connect with Adam. So yeah, I've had the chance to see growth in technology and vacation rentals in that time. Obviously, the last 13, 14 years, we've seen an explosion in sophistication and in software. 
and professionalization of the industry as a whole. And I'm just thrilled to be a part of it. Yeah, phenomenal. I'll go your way, Evan, your background and how you got connected with the industry and then also with Adaptive. would love to hear. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate it. My background's a mix of real estate, hospitality, technology, and all I'm trying to do is bridge the gap because they are interconnected in many ways. And it's been a pleasure to work alongside a guy like this because I'm on the front lines talking to VRMs, understanding them, but Braden really understands the ins and out of a business. And uh, when I joined Adaptive about two years ago, I realized real quick that this is the hospitality business. But if businesses want to drive direct bookings, then they're also in the e-commerce business. Because at the end of the day, e-commerce is a form of direct, direct bookings are a form of e-commerce. Instead of the package arriving at your door, the guest arrives, but the process of purchasing is the same. So our goal is to raise awareness on the importance of direct bookings, because as we know, the internet is changing and it's going to be a lot harder. It's been an honor to raise awareness and level up the industry. So that way we can have long-term autonomy. For sure. And I definitely want to get to the industry pieces here shortly, but I guess maybe on our outline, we wanted to start a little bit further back if you guys are comfortable with it, which some people listening may be like, okay, I'm aware of what Adam's talking about. Certainly heard of AI, I've heard of machine learning. But I don't know if you guys are a fan of this subreddit. There's a subreddit called Explain Like I'm 5. Is there an Explain Like I'm 5 definition for what these things actually mean, AI and machine learning? Could you break it down in a simple way for us? We'd love to understand that piece. I, I think the best explanation I've seen is it's people on computers getting really good at using computers. This is, it, it is revolutionary, but it's also an iterative continuation of what developers and engineers have been doing for a long time. And that's just working with more and more powerful tool sets and getting more and more value out of computing. But I think, and there's so many different categories of AI, but at a high level, you can think of this as computer programming and machine learning are ways for us to solve more complex problems than we've been able to solve with computers before. And without getting too into the nitty gritty and technical side, these are tools that can teach themselves. So rather than have a programmer explicitly put in conditions and if thens and that traditional programming, instead we can be more focused on an outcome or an ideal state and let the machine, let the computer figure out the best path to get there. Um, and that's becoming more and more true as these tools mature. So yeah, with machine learning, a great example of what we do is we wanna make sure that a guest is presented with the products and properties that they're gonna find most appealing. And so we can train a system to understand what attributes customers look for, and then how to segment those customers into appropriate size groups and serve them the products and properties they wanna see. And that's something that is constantly being refined and the system is literally training itself to get better and better as it consumes more data and sees more patterns in how people book. I like that. That's like a good understanding of a, at a high level. So where do you guys think we are today then in this kind of evolution? Adam said a second ago, okay, we heard about these tools for a while, but it, I guess the reason that this is my take on it, at least the reason I think ChatGPT took off is that it felt like, and it looks like almost like a text message. It's like you might be messaging a friend or a colleague or someone inside of a tool like Slack or Basecamp or something like that. And then all of a sudden it was replying and it, that's, I think, what made it, I think, so catch fire so quickly. All these things that before it was like hard to actually see it work in action. So when you could actually tangibly, figuratively, I guess, in some sense, put your hands on it and see it actually work. It felt, oh, okay, this was a huge leap forward. Is that kind of your sense of it? Is that we made a big leap and there's, a, is there a lot more to go? Have we already figured out a lot of these problems? Your sense of like the evolution, what stage are we in right now? And then what's going to happen in the next 12 or 24 months? What's your sense of that? Boy, it's a scary space to make predictions and things are moving so fast as we were saying before. <laughs> I think that looking back on these, we're all going to maybe have a little egg on our face with where we thought this was going to go. But yeah, sir, I, Conrad, I think you're exactly right. The ChatGPT 
was a watershed moment. It, it really changed things because it made this stuff tangible. AI was something that researchers were involved in, academics were involved in, and real geeks were involved in, but it wasn't tangible. It wasn't something that the average consumer or user could wrap their head around or had a real use case for. But we've really entered the era now where this is going to become as ubiquitous and common as the internet is where this is just how things get done. It's a productivity tool. It's going to be woven into a lot of our daily workflows. A lot of the things we're doing every day are more and more going to be dependent or enabled by AI. And some of that's going to be really visible and obvious. Some of it's going to be a little more transparent and just happening in the background without us knowing. Um, but absolutely, it's coming fast. I think ChatGPT is super interesting and the novelty of it and the newness of it has certainly helped carry it. But there's, if you're following AI closely, there's daily breakthroughs and extensions to that. In addition to what Adapt is working on, I'm really excited by some of the new tools that are coming out in the form of what are called AI agents, AutoGPT being an example of that, where we're finding more and more ways for this stuff to get out of the kind of novelty realm and out of the a fun tool to play with limited application to tools that can improve our daily lives and tools that can actually execute things that we'd otherwise have to do manually. If I can add to AI is really, it's been used on us for a decade, whether it's Amazon or social media, they've been, big tech has had it for a long time. So only in the last year or two has it been accessible to smaller businesses. But now we're approaching the problem on, do you have enough data for AI to be effective? But the reality is AI has been around for a decade. Only recently has it been available to the smaller players. Yeah. So Conrad, I'm going to lean on something that you had talked about, and we talked about this up front, that this is outside of my normal space, but ultimately in learning from you, Conrad, and then this conversation. So one of the things that I've heard Conrad say, and I don't know if it was on the live recording or if we talked about it separately, is Conrad talked to us a lot about ChatGPT really being about your inputs, right? And being very clear with your inputs and continuing to clarify what you want, right? A guy like me, I get lazy and I say, write a LinkedIn post about this, right? And then I'm just copy, paste and go. And I heard Conrad talk a lot about you. If you're the more specific you are with chat GPT, the greater your result. So when you get into machine learning, how does that translate? You've got some data that you want to pick up. How do you take that note from Conrad to say, you've got to be specific about your wants and you've got to really drive it to more than just this overarching thing. So can machine learning really start to grab onto that stuff and drive deeper? Or do you need, or will we need more sense of real engagement from the consumer? Yeah, I think, you know, what you're referring to there is what's being called prompt engineering. And it's absolutely true. The value you'll get out of a tool like ChatGPT is very much on what you're putting into it, the level of specificity you're applying. And this is not all that different than, let's say, the early days of search engines. We're all very well trained these days to know how to interact with Google to get results back that we're going to find useful. You can't really take that at face value, though. We've been trained to do that. And you go back to the early days, people would type in Ask Jeeves and things like that. You're going to type in a full sentence like you're talking to another person. You're finding that's wasted effort. It's inefficient. Now we've gone full circle and machines are now able to actually talk in our kind of natural language. So certainly there's an element of truth to that. I think in terms of machine learning, the other thing we have to realize here is most people's experience with this is literally using chat GPT as a web application, typing into a text box and getting things back. That's a very narrow use case. And it's going to forget what it's worked on with you between sessions, unless you reopen that and save that conversation. But what you'll see going forward is you're going to have what are called agents, or you're going to have these tools that are going to stay with your organization or you personally understand who you are, the type of responses that you'll find value 
from the voice that you want to convey that in. And right now it's really temporary. It's really important that you get those prompts exactly right. What you'll find is this is going to become more of almost a virtual assistant who's really going to understand you and build on the tone that you want to see, how you communicate and how it should respond to you. Yeah. Prompt engineering, absolutely a skill, but I think that that is something the machine learning itself is going to address over time. And we're going to find that everyone's going to have a, an, an AI assistant that they're going to be able to talk to however they naturally talk. Scott, you mentioned you're an ops guy. And just imagine all the locations that your data is being stored, whether it's marketing, it's the internet, it's the operation software. You have so many places where data is being compartmentalized, but it's not talking to each other. So the idea of a machine learning engine is how do we plug in all of those data points into one spot, let that data talk, draw meaningful connections. And then from there, we can automate solutions. But the first step is let the data talk and let it understand each other, because without that, all that data is siloed in its own place and it's not being maximized. Yeah, good point. I think you make a good point, Braden. My personal experience with that, Paul and I recorded an episode where we went into detail about all the reasons of why ChatGPT is going to be an issue from a content creation standpoint, because it can't access the internet. And then the next day they released the plugin feature, which <laughs> is still in beta. Like at the time of recording, this is still in beta, but we were like, oh, geez, like the plugin feature is basically going to make it possible for just that example, the ChatGPT example to be able to go out, crawl, let's say Yelp. And then it could, in theory, recommend like the best restaurants, not only the best restaurants, it could say this restaurant is brand new. It just opened a month ago. And we've already seen seven reviews come in and those seven reviews all mentioned the chicken parm is amazing or something like that. So I think we're already like on the precipice of it just being very like instant real time, which is like what you're saying. That's my take on it too, is that you're going to see, it's not going to be one like inner, there's not going to be one thing that's going to win this battle. It's going to be more so like the ops team is probably going to have their own version of it. And it's going to be focused on the data that they want to focus on to your point, Evan. And then we're going to have a different version of marketing. That's more about how do we get people to click on an ad or how do we get people to open the click on a property page and things like that. And maybe that dovetails nicely into what you guys are actually focused on at adaptive. And I did a demo a little while ago, so I have a inside peek a little bit of how things work. So would you guys just give kind of a brief overview? We have an example we'll put in the show notes. I think you guys have a case study that's public on the website with Twitty and company who's a very large property manager in the Outer Banks. So maybe you could give like a very practical example for the vacation rental manager out there sure. who might relate to Twitty and break down exactly how the tool works, what it does, and what the actual like net business impact is or what the business impact is in terms of bookings and things like that. Yeah, I think the best way to do it is just to compare it to something that we've that has been AI has been used on us. And the best place is Amazon and social media. So think about your social media feed and think about Amazon. Imagine it wasn't personalized. Imagine it was throwing tires, ice cream, makeup at you. You wouldn't use it because it makes no sense. It's just noise. So all of those big tech companies have a machine learning engine that the more you engage with their websites, the more you click on certain products, they understand your purchasing power, they understand your preferences, and they're able to serve you things that you want. And it's the same thing on the OTAs and Airbnb. The more you engage with each property and each, each component of the website, the more it's going to understand you. So that's how they increase conversions on their website because they're essentially spoon feeding customers what they want to see that increases, that increases the enthusiasm, reduces the cognitive load and increases conversion. So all we're doing is copy and paste and democratizing that for VRM. So that way they can put it on their direct booking websites. So everyone they do send to their direct booking website, they convert faster. And on top of that guest retention, everyone's tired of emails. There's so much noise out there. In my sales emails, I have one that's titled, don't like my sales emails. Imagine how your guest feels when you're sending them your emails. And the idea is how do you cut through that noise? It's with personalization. So that's uh, that's long story short. What we're doing is delivering that OTA grade personalization to the smaller players. So that way they can spend less time grappling with the data and more time deploying those data back decisions. And that concept of turn more 
it's an expectation of customer bases these days. And the, all of our experience yeah. on the internet is highly personalized as Evan meant from our news feeds to our social media feeds, to our purchasing decisions, companies who are not personalizing, you're finding are left behind. And any of the big tech organizations are delivering content on an individual basis. And they're not doing it for fun. They're not doing it as an experiment or for academic reasons. They're doing it because that's what consumers want and because it provides a better experience. And then there's obviously some commercial upside to that as well. Yeah. One might argue the whole premise of TikTok is personalization. Like that for you page is literally go, we're going to serve you 30 different videos. We're going to see the five or 10 you watch. Okay. I've won five or 10 more of those. And then I think what's always amazing to me about my personal experience with it is that if they know if you're into this, you're probably also into this because they've tested that across a thousand people. So if you're into this type of content, we're going to show you something that's not just a rehash of that same thing you were watching. If you watch golf videos like I do, we're not just going to keep showing you golf videos, but we're going to show you this other topic that you're also interested in because we know people who are into this are also into that. So that's always the piece that I find pretty interesting. The actual like use case inside of Twitty, maybe you could, I know we can't show, it's an audio format, obviously, but could you just describe what it actually looks like? Because I think it's interesting. Maybe even folks can go check out the, I'll put a link in the show notes to that Twitty case study, but it actually recommends properties and it looks very native on the page when you actually go look. Um, It doesn't look like just, it doesn't look like an external interface or anything like that. It just, it looks very native on the website, but you've seen results from that, right? Like ultimately everything we're talking about here, my brain from like a ROI perspective is like, okay, that's great. All these tools in the back end, I don't understand all of them, but does it actually deliver results? And you guys have proven that when you recommend the right property to someone, just like you were saying a second ago, Evan, when Amazon rec- recommends the right product to me, I'm more likely to purchase. And that can mean like a pretty big difference to the bottom line ultimately. Yeah, absolutely. I would encourage everybody to check out that case study. It was pretty remarkable. And frankly, one of the reasons that I joined the adaptive organization, but Conrad, as you said, it feels pretty native. It looks like a vacation rental website, a very nice one. It's well built, but as an experience True. for the end user, we're not trying to reinvent the wheel here. This is not a new search and book interface in terms of how we're asking customers to interact with it. But the specific area of AI that we're putting into use on Twitty is called predictive personalization. And that predictive word is really important here because we're entering an era where guests and consumers are going to be have more and more privacy controls, which I think in general is a great thing. But at the same time, they're going to demand personalization. So how do we do that? We use machine learning to predict their interests and affinities. And we apply that on Twitty in some really specific ways. When you first land on that website, you're going to see some featured or recommended properties just, uh, just at the fold there below their main hero image. And those images, those properties are being dynamically recommended for each individual user who comes to the website. And how we're doing that is we use machine learning to analyze their entire reservation history, look at every booking that's ever been made. What channel did it come in from? What searches was it associated with? What's the demographic and psychographic information about that guest? What was the booking lead time? What zip code are they booking from? What device were they on? What time of day was it? So there's hundreds and hundreds of data points that most VRMs are already sitting on. They have this data today and they're not leveraging it. Hey, Braden, let's pause there for just a quick second to understand how you're getting that. So somebody lands on the webpage, how do you automatically start to get all that data? Sure. The beauty of it is we don't necessarily have it about that anonymous user, but we have some a few data points and the machine learning can interpolate what the rest of that person is. So who else they look like? Very simply, we've got a tracking script on the page. It's gathering some guest information, some things that you could get right out of GA, frankly. What zip code are they from? What's their IP address? What's their device type? But then we're also monitoring all of their actions when they're on the site. What are they interacting with? What properties are they clicking on? What are they hovering over? What are they searching? And all of that is being merged with the behavior of every guest who's come before them. 
and we can look at what. Okay, well, so let me, person- let me take that one step further. Yeah. If you then know that person, so they're a previous guest and you do have some of that data and you can marry up some of the stuff that you guys are interpreting with the stuff that you already know, at what point does it cross over where you get very specific to that user? It actually, we don't have to know their identity to get that specific. Now, certainly if we do, if somebody's logged into the website, say we know their identity very quickly, we can understand if they have a booking history, we can understand their past searches. Personalization for what we'd call an authenticated user, a known identity, um, that's pretty easy. Hospitality has been doing that forever. Loyalty programs are built on that. We know your history. We know what you're going to. So that's fairly straightforward. Where the predictive part comes in is when they haven't logged in, when we don't know who they are. And that's something that machine learning is getting better and better at with each interaction. And remember that most people don't book on their first visit to a site. There is a process through which most people go through travel planning. And through that, we're able to gather information about where they're likely to land and accelerate that process, get them to book sooner, less likely to find another website to go book on. Yeah, I like that last piece, obviously, given that's a key part of what we do day to day, right? We're trying to figure out ways to win the direct booking battle. Now, Adam, you had outlined an article you dug out. I think, Evan, you're the author of this article, so we'll definitely go your direction. But the title of the article, we'll put this in the show notes as well, of course. 10 Key Reasons Why BRM Direct Bookings Are at Risk of Vanishing in 2024. Evan, a scary article for or title for me, at least me to read. Adam, why'd you pull out this article? And then what's your take on some of the things that Adam, that sorry, that Evan had inside of it? Yeah, so I'm really interested to hear Evan's perspective on this. I read through the article, and I think that the point make a lot of sense. And I think it it ties into a lot of the topics that we've been discussing and just lay the groundwork from some previous discussions. I think that there is a culture war with vacation rental managers, with professional vacation rental managers that have been in existence for 10, 20, 30, 50, some upwards of 70 plus years. This industry is built on vacation rental managers, professional managers that have tried to professionalize the industry from the moment that they started. We've now got some large brands that have tried to put some pressure on the industry and change it in ways that they think are best for the VC money that might be backing them or their ability to act in quantity rather than quality. So I think that's undermining and that's one part of the culture war. But you swing to the other side and the other side of the culture war is what we've defined as the OTAs and some of the actors that they're enabling through some of the pieces that that they're enabling. Again, both sides of this dichotomy are undermining the professional managers that are in the middle that have built this industry. So I think that as professional managers, we need to be really careful about the decisions that we make over the next few years. I think we are truly at a point in this industry where it could be swung in a few different directions if we don't have the right people making the right choices. And I think this is one of those areas. Direct bookings is 100% one of those areas. We need to drive direct bookings as professional managers as much as we can. But outside of that, I think that Evan makes some really strong points in this article that most of us as professional managers are not aware of. Even just some of the discussion that we've had here, the fact that these large tech companies have been leveraging machine learning and AI against us for a very long time. OTAs are part of that. OTAs are actively trying to take the data from our guests and get them to go directly with them, which undermines what we're trying to do as vacation rental managers. So I think there's a lot of pieces in Evan's article, but ultimately in in what Adaptive is trying to do, that is one, supporting the professional vacation rental managers, which I'm all for, but two, it's shining a light in areas that I don't know that we're gonna learn this without professionals like them helping us understand it. Yeah, no, you nailed it. And you were talking about data earlier, so the data that we're trying to cultivate is what we call guest intent data. We take all those demand signals to understand what is that specific guest looking for? And the reality is the internet is changing more than ever before and guest intent data is going to become scarcer. 
And who has the most of it? It's big tech because they've been cultivating it for a long time. So the reason the internet is changing more than it came out since it was commercial, since the internet was commercialized in the nineties, this is the most it's ever transformed is for a few reasons. One is regulation. In Europe, they have the GDPR. We already see GDPR regulation enacted in America, like places like California. So regulation is going to get very specific on how you're able to collect specific user data. Another one is cookies are disappearing. Now, most of us know what cookies are because we get requested on every single web page we go, hey, do you want us to allow cookies or reject them? What a cookie is, it's a small file that sticks to your device and stalks you across all the websites you're looking at. That's disappearing at the end of this year. And traditionally, that's how a lot of companies learned about what is that user looking at? They're no longer going to have that access. And the final point is that big tech was also sharing data with each other and they were sharing data with us. And a good example of that is Apple. When they shut up, when they pulled the cord on that, look what happened to Facebook stock. They plummeted 30, 40% because Facebook no longer had all of that data sharing. So there's another seven or eight reasons on that list. But those three huge reasons just explain how data is becoming scarcer, but the gold that VRMs do have can power future data cultivation through e-commerce experiences. Let me touch on two more points there, Evan, that I think are in that article that are worth us digging into and understanding your perspective on. And the first one is around, I think they both dovetail together, but I think that I'd love to have you help us understand, one, how did VRMs take direct bookings for granted? And then two, what are the OTAs doing to leverage that fact that we're not working hard enough for those direct bookings? What money are they spending to take our guests and then not share the information back with us? This is the scariest part. And I actually, two weeks ago, I went to the Carolina coast where I drove from Myrtle Beach all the way up to Emerald Isle. And I stopped about at about 20 VRMs. Now, the Carolina coast has about 40, 50 million visitors every single year in the traditional, they're traditionally a direct booking industry. Most of these companies are operating off tech that existed before I was born. And the problem with that is that it just, you're not versatile. You're not able to adapt. So with the internet changing, they were getting all of this data from other sources that they're no longer going to get it from. So their direct booking system is going to absolutely change. And the OTAs are waiting on the sidelines with tens of billions of dollars of marketing dollars to just deploy and take those customers. So OTAs have not been able to tap those markets because direct bookings have been so strong. But now, for example, Google is transitioning. Google Universe, Universal Analytics is transitioning to GA4. Google's forcing us to play their game even further. And the way they play their game is by spending money on PPC. Who has the most money to spend on PPC? It's the big tech OTAs. Long story short, VRMs have been blessed with direct bookings, but the internet is changing and PPCs are ready to pounce on that. Uh, not PPC, OTAs are ready to pounce on that through PPC. Yeah. I, the thing that I always see just like a practical day-to-day -day thing as we run accounts like that and we're trying to figure out ways to make them profitable is that it seems like over time the conversion rate tends to dip for a lot of smaller VRMs. Like it used to be even a smaller VRM could attract traffic in a relatively cost-effective way, but they could convert half a percent, one percent of people coming on the site cold traffic into bookings and that's sustainable, that's profitable. But you mentioned the article cost per click on some keywords going up. Absolutely the case in some markets we've seen the cost per click rise. I remember I actually had a client, I won't say the market because I don't want to out the market, but the there's a market that you're referencing that you might have driven past when you're going through, going through that that trip. It's in North Carolina Beach market where there's 30,000 people searching for it. And the cost per click, no lie, used to be like 12 cents a click for area name plus vacation rentals. Now I'm sure I'm not in that market anymore, but I would be shocked if it was less than 50 cents. So yeah, over time, marketing costs tend to slide up, right? Look at every like D2C brand. They figure out ways to get customers inexpensively first. And then over time, they're like, ah, the CAC, cost per customer acquisition goes up and up. So if you're figuring out ways to make things more efficient, then you're always going to be 
like you were saying, ahead of that curve. If you just rely on what everybody else is doing, eventually it's like a pool that just gets stuffed with people and you just there's no way for you to get out cleanly. So I guess that's the way that I've always thought about it is that um, you have to be looking for at this cutting edge. You have to be looking at new things because if you can go swim in a pool that no one's in, like you're going to have a lot more pleasant experience than if you're trying to go after what everybody else is going after. And the COVID boom for whether you think it's good or bad, it certainly brought in more eyeballs to the space as far as demand goes. That's good, but it also can bring in more supply and some supply just isn't very sophisticated. They just don't really understand what a reasonable cost per click is, or they don't really understand any of these things. They're brand new to it. So they come in and they make bad decisions, which sometimes makes like our ads less effective, less profitable. So I think you have to be, whether it's this tool exactly or ones like it, I think this is just a good example of one feather to put in the cap, but you have to be thinking, how can I figure out ways to drive down my cost per acquisition over time? And how can I, to your point, Evan, how can I not let the OTA in the first place? How can I, when they try to slide in, how do I like throw an elbow in their ribs so they don't even give that guest the opportunity to consider booking with an OTA? They only want to book with me. We're in a, where we talked about how we're recording today in different hotels all over the, all over the country here. And the hotel I'm staying at, you don't get free Wi-Fi unless you book direct. So yeah, sure. You can go ahead and book this hotel on booking.com. But guess what? You lose, you know, you lose the free Wi-Fi. You got to pay nine bucks for Wi-Fi. So that's a little dig, but it's also, you know, I think a smart move on this hotel's part to be like, yeah, we will let someone book on booking.com. We're not going to stop that from happening. But at the same token, we're not just going to take it lying down. We're going to figure out ways to give the guest a better experience. In this case, free Wi-Fi, but booking direct, which I did. That's so, the first time I, I've heard that. That's a really interesting yeah. way to approach that. Hey, Evan, yeah, you mentioned yeah. the idea of the internet's changing. So if the internet changing, and I'm interested in your feedback, but what I'm hearing is the internet is changing for two ways. One, you've got AI and machine learning that's coming out and changing it. And then two, you're going to come with regulations and a reduction in data that we're going to have available to us. And then on the other side of that, you've, you're talking about the OTAs having deep pockets that are going to be able to deploy this. Are these things happening at the same time? Or is this sort of the perfect moment where the data restrictions and then the OTA funding are going to come together at the same time to deploy some sort of change that we're not necessarily prepared for? And if that's the case, how should we be getting prepared for it? Yeah, 100%. It's, I think we're at this inflection point and it's, it's pretty scary because a lot of companies, I think most of them haven't even started driving direct bookings yet. And as we know, with web developers in the space, there's so much demand that it takes time to get a direct booking website up and running. It takes time to drive direct bookings and to start bringing visitors to your store. So yeah, long story short, I think the best way to do it is to just make a website, start understanding your Google Analytics because your Google Analytics really explains who's coming into your store, what are they looking at, and how do you do better? And the more you understand Google Analytics, you can start attributing revenue every step of your booking funnel. You'll see when they land on the website, what do they look at? Are they leaving? Why are they leaving? How do we bring them a step lower? And a good example of this with Adoptive is, for example, that recommended for you widget that you're talking about on Twitty's website, that doesn't have to just be deployed on the booking site. A good place to deploy that is on a blog page. A lot of customers start their search when they're looking for, let's say they're going to Ski Town, maybe they want a snowmobile rental or they want a snowboard rental. So if you have a blog page describing that, a lot of the times that gets the most hits out of everything on the website. So if you're able to have a recommended rentals for you widget on the snowboard blog, then it'll influence the visitor to then come back to your booking funnel and you'll bring them lower and lower. So you have to take every opportunity you can to get in front of visitors with the right content at the right time in order to bring them into your booking funnel. 
all of that data that they engage, all of that, all of those content that they engage with on your website, that data is getting stored in your Google Analytics, and that pretty much gives you an aerial perspective on what is going on with your store, how do you make it better, and how do you keep improving? Because at the end of the day, AI is always awake, always learning, always improving, but you can't use AI unless you have all of these other steps in place. It's very much a crawl, walk, jog, run approach. And we talked about taking some control back from OTAs. And I think something to think about in that is, is the value of the data you're providing them. One thing that's been in the news recently is our organizations like Reddit and Twitter realizing the value of their data. And they're seeing these other AI companies train their systems on user data on Reddit, for example. So they're going to start charging for that. They're going to realize, hey, we created this, we hosted this, we enable these conversations. The data itself has value. And VRMs need to start looking at their own customer data in the same way. And you instantly seed ground if most of your booking activity is going through an OTA because they're on the front lines of gathering that data. They're understanding what guests are searching for. They understand what the, the hottest amenities are in that market. They're getting the guest contact information and maybe or maybe not sharing that with you. And they're building this moat to protect customer data because they see the value in it. And I think it's incumbent on the VRM to push back on that and start building up their own asset in their customer data. And whether you're ready to deploy AI or not, that's a step in that direction. Maybe you're not ready today, but 18 months from now, two years from now, you will be. And the more data you have in your system, the better that's going to perform. I want to put one pin in that point there, and then I get your feedback real quick. So we talk a lot about the difference between professional vacation rent managers and hosts. So two things that I note from your responses there are, are one, if you are consider yourself just a host who's depending on the OTAs, which primarily probably means that you're depending on Airbnb more so than anyone. If that's the case and you don't have a direct booking website, then by you're just giving all the power over to this OTA at this point. And they're now your booking engine as well as your marketing engine and, and all of those other pieces. And then the other thing that you mentioned as, the, as they build this moat, and I think this was in one of your articles as well, Evan, is that increased fees are coming. And I'm starting to hear that from people throughout the industry that OTAs are starting to increase fees in a variety of different ways. Do you guys have a sense of what those increase in fees are and how they're coming at people? Yeah, I think there's a broader economic context here of a push for profitability. We've been in a decade of growth in tech and you're starting to see that swing the other way where everybody's looking for cash flow and the OTAs are not really an exception to that. Uh, Airbnb has public shareholders now. Booking.com is publicly held, I believe. And as shareholders demand cash, you're going to see changes in business. And I think there, there's a lot of different ways that OTAs monetize bookings over the last few years. I think if you take into account all of the fees together, you're going to find most have been able to extract between 15 and 20% of gross order value as an OTA. If they are going to push that up, and I, to be clear, I don't have a sense of a specific number they're pushing for, but it's going to be as much as they can get. And so that's an opportunity for everyone else to say, you know what, I don't need to give away 25% of my top line to acquire that customer. If we're looking at the PPC market, as Conrad brought up, 25% of booking value buys a lot of clicks. 25% of booking value can build you an exceptional direct booking presence. And start thinking about the ground and margin you're giving to those OTAs. And I'm not saying walk away from them entirely, but I think understanding what role they play in your sales and marketing organization is important. Use them to acquire customers you wouldn't otherwise acquire. Use them to expand your footprint. And if you're a very young organization, you're going to need them to fill bets. You're going to need them to find the for the bulk of your or for the bulk of your reservations. But as you mature, 
that needs to be a North star of your marketing organization is take control of as much of that booking process as you can take control of that audience, own the data, and then maximize lifetime value. Cause that's the other piece where if we're worried about cost per click going up, let's get the value out of that click up. Let's make sure that you're not buying one transaction or one visit with that click. Let's make sure that through personalization and through service and hospitality, the things our customers already do great, that those customers, that those guests come back and that one click brings more than one transaction. It brings a greater lifetime value. Yeah. Speaking my language. I love it. Yeah. No, that, that's, that's exactly the way to do it. And all the clients that I work with, and I say this, I've said this on previous episodes, all the clients I work with that make these bigger investments into PPC, they're always thinking of that. So clients that are spending 10, 20, 30K per month on Google ads, they're always thinking, okay, yes, it needs to be profitable today. Cause like the Amex bill is going to come here in a few weeks and I need to be able to pay back that $30,000 in ad spend with the bookings that I've collected. So it has to be profitable today. But they're also thinking, well, over time, one of the clients that we've worked with started like a 10,000 guest email list. I think it's up over seven. 75,000 today and go back and prune and remove inactive. So think about that. I always talk about this too, with regards to like brand search. So if they were to turn off all their ads tomorrow, they would still be getting a ton of direct bookings because they have 75,000 on an email list. They get 3000 people a month that just search for their brand name on Google. They look, they're looking to book with that specific company, not the other 10 companies that are in that market. So they've built kind of like a snowball. It's like going down a hill, but it has momentum. It actually grows over time. It's not, it's not shrinking. The Airbnb analogy to me, to your point, Adam, to me is always like, I say it's, you're a barnacle on a boat. And the Airbnb boat is actually a pretty good boat. I think in many ways, it's not a perfect boat. There's issues with it. But when you're a barnacle attached to the boat, you have to go where that boat is goes. So if Airbnb changes their policies, guess what? Your policy has now changed. So having more control and being in your own boat, I think is a lot better system. And to what, you know, Braden's saying there, I think it doesn't have to be all at once. Getting into these tools, I think is something that probably isn't the first thing you do. Evan said that as well. You want to get like the foundation laid. You want to have that direct booking website. You want to have these pieces in place. Then once you do, this is a heck of a tool to have on top of everything else that can make the traffic you're getting more effective. I mentioned earlier about the difference between going between a half of 1% conversion rate and a 1% conversion rate. It sounds simple. Oh, just get one out of every 200 people to book instead of one out of every 300 people to book. That sounds relatively simple, but that one difference on a traffic a site, excuse me, that has enough traffic can be the difference between an extra two, three, four thousand $4,000 every week in direct bookings on a smaller site. On a bigger site, that could be an extra $5,000 of direct bookings every single day. It can be that big of a difference where over a year, you can see a huge impact to the bottom line. So I think there's, there's levels to this game. And I think that this level is one that's a lot more accessible now than it was before to Evan's point. And obviously I'm looking forward to people checking this out and seeing if it makes sense for them for sure. And, and there is, I think there's an industry-wide problem of underperforming direct booking websites. As you said, even just the context we put that in, moving to a half a percent conversion rate, that's something, obviously we're talking about big ticket items and a complicated purchasing process, but at the same time, that conversion rate is unacceptable in any other realm of e-commerce. And we've just come to settle on, that's okay. If I can get approach a percent, that's fantastic. And I think that we're really settling there. There's much better performance to be had there's a better experience to provide that guest. And I think there's a lot of blue sky there. The, you started our conversation today talking about the Twitty organization with some conversion rate optimization and personalization that we help put in place. They're driving an extra million dollars a month in marginal revenue. That is life-changing money for a business wow. like that. Um, there's a million dollars That's a amazing. Month. That's amazing. When so, that um, it's a huge opportunity. That's an insane amount. So I'll tie things together. I know we're getting towards the end here, but I think that we could talk about this for quite a while. Good news is that I'm going to try to do this again in the fall. And the reason I'm doing this, and I think this goes to a point that Braden made that, that Conrad just mentioned, is you walk before you run and you try to get the right pieces in place. 
So we're actually going in a process of getting a new website and getting a new PMS. So as a result, we're not going to deploy adaptive today. We want to make sure that we've got the right tools in place, the right tech stack that we can maximize the opportunity. So we're starting in September when we get our new website and we get our new PMS. In the meantime, Braden and Evan are helping us put a little script on our website. We're going to start to collect this data. So we're, we are getting out of the gate and starting to collect some of this, but we're not getting rolling. But I think the point there is twofold. One, we're going to get to talk to these guys again, and we're going to get to talk about some specific results that we get to see here, hopefully in the near future. But two, I think it's, it's that walk before you run. So to Braden and Conrad's point, if you are a host that's depending on OTAs, AI is not the first place you want to go get that booking engine in place. Go take yourself off of Airbnb and dependent on them as your booking engine and go get a PMS in place. Go get a direct booking website in place and get some of these fundamentals in place so that you can establish yourself as someone who can be independent and not be the barnacle that's attached to somebody else's boat. I'm definitely excited about our second chat. I appreciate the time that you've given us, but I know that there, there's one lingering question, but I'll let Scott or Conrad ask it. Yeah, for sure. I think we got right into it, to be honest, that I forgot. So thank you, Adam. You always keep me on track when I get a little bit off track. We forgot to ask. Sorry, Evan, Braden, we gave you guys a bunch of time, more than we always give the guest on the show. So what is a song that describes you? Braden, I'll pick on you first again, because you're always first on my screen here. I'm going to betray my my Colorado hippie roots. And my song is Deal by the Grateful (laughs) Dead. And uh, watch each card you play and play it slow. Nice. Nice. Okay, good stuff. I'm going to say mine is That's All by Genesis. It's a classic, and I've been listening to it over and over. Pretty good one. I love it. Our (laughs) playlist is getting deeper, and nobody has crossed over the same genre or the same artist yet. So great selections. Oh, boy. Yeah. So I think at some point Spotify is going to reach out to talk to us about the fact that we've broken their algorithm because this playlist yeah. makes no sense. But I love no it. sense whatsoever. I love it. Yeah. But that's the closest we've come, at least because I had a John Mayer song picked out, Braden on my side. So I guess you yeah. could tie Grateful, like the new version of the Grateful Dead into John Mayer. But other than that, that's the closest we've come. And that's even a wide stretch by a wide margin. Yeah. Yeah. We'll have to Thanks, feed guys. this really through appreciate our machine it. come up with some recommendations for. Uh, yeah. For <laughs> That's perfect. Anything else that we want to say before we put a bow on this one? We really appreciated having you guys on here. This was fun. Yeah. Anything else that yeah, we want to awesome. tie in here? Or if, if I can just give a quick case study, because I know that a lot of this is based off doom and gloom, but the reality is there is a bright future ahead. And the best case study is in our sister industry of e-commerce. A few years ago, if you were to Google a product, 90% of the time, the first search result would have been Amazon. Now, over COVID, a small company named Shopify took off and started democratizing all this big technology for scaling businesses. Now, Amazon has been forced to shutter and stop about 100 plus developments of its warehouses because its demand has contracted significantly because direct-to-consumer businesses are swinging back the pendulum. So it is possible. I do believe that investing in the right technology and the fundamentals of e-commerce will will bear fruits and will swing the pendulum back into the hand of direct bookings. So it's not all doom and gloom. E-commerce was able to do it. And there's no reason why VRMs and hospitality can't. Yeah, no, perfect. I think that's, that is a good, we actually did a recent one on our show, Evan, where we did an eBay, Amazon comparison. And we talked about how eBay was top of the world. And then they got like back in 2014, you would have said, how is it possible for eBay to ever fall off this perch and Amazon knock them off that perch? And now you may see other shifts change. These things are always changing. And I think that if you're a small business in the environment, you just have to be carving out your own land. You can't dominate the, you're not going to dominate Amazon or to your point, Shopify is not going to topple Amazon, but it's like putting more power in the hands and figuring out what makes most sense for the consumer. So if you figure that out, if 
figure out what makes your guest happy and you deliver a guest experience, then I think the other pieces you can figure out along the way, having good vendors on your side for sure. For sure. Awesome. I think that's roughly our time here today. So we really thank you guys for coming on. We always beg for reviews at the end. So if you want to leave a review, if you've listened this far, we really appreciate it. You can write it yourself or you can write it with ChatGPT, whatever kind of strikes your fancy there. Thanks to Evan and Brandon for checking us out. We will put all the links to all the articles that we referenced in the show notes. Um, Thanks, Adam and Scott, for being with us as always. And we will catch you guys next week. Thanks so much. Thanks.